welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. The King's Arm Project is a charity that provides support for homeless people. At the heart of the charity's ethos is the simple principle that they refuse to give up on anybody and believe that every homeless person can have a bright future. Simon Dwight is the CEO of the King's Arm Project and he leads the Pathways to Employment team and he is a student of our MST in Social Innovation. I wanted to research homelessness, so I'm, I'm passionate about homelessness and wanted to find out more about it. So my dissertation title is How Do Homeless People Make Sense of Interventions Designed to Help Them? So I really was interested to see actually how are we as kind of a, a charity or, or services trying to help homeless people, what, how are we affecting them, how are they interpreted by, by homeless people. And I, I, I kind of going into it, I had a few ideas of what we might be doing that might not be particularly helpful and really wanted to see if there was anything else we were doing that wasn't very helpful or what we were doing that was really working from the perspective of the homeless person. So I wanted to get back in touch with the homeless person and see how we could offer the most effective service that we could possibly offer and then also see how you know the impact of policy and the bigger picture impacts on homeless people. So what was it then in your job and your experience within your job that led you to research how interventions impact people who are homeless? We see people like rotate around the system so many times there was one kind of standout story I suppose from when I was a sport worker I was his key worker I was responsible for his support and he was a success story really. He'd been homeless for uh, over 10 years, rough sleeping for on and off for a chunk of that, but he never managed to get into his own accommodation, we'd never managed to, to get him that far. But while I was working with him we managed to get him a council flat with us for about two years, it was a big success story and we were happy, you know, he was delighted, we moved him in. I remember the day moving him in, in fact, it was just like a really celebratory day. We had, you know, helped him get out his new place and that kind of thing. And we left him and that, that was great and I'd see him occasionally around town and he seemed happy enough. But then a few months later we found out that he died in his flat. That was shocking for, for us all. Unfortunately that happens, like people do die and, and the people that we're working with. But this, this guy was very close to us um, and I, he was a success. But it just struck me, you know, once we move people through the system, he's a success story, he, but essentially he's still on his own. So there's, there's that kind of element of it. So what could we have done better to prepare him more effectively for independent living? Really it's, it's about this circular system that we were seeing where only a few people were managing to get out of the system. We had the ones and the twos that were getting through, but why weren't more people getting through? And so that was a problem for me. You know, we'd work with 200 people every year. Well, that's just through our night shelter, but more than that, more like 500 people every year. And many would move through successfully, but many wouldn't. And why was that the case? And I wanted to find out. And what did you find out? I thought I would find out certain things, but I found out things that I certainly wasn't expecting. Um, went into it probably a bit arrogantly, thinking I know what the answer's going to be. I've worked with the homeless for 10 years. But I was surprised by people's stories, surprised by the barriers they face. I think there's three real standouts of points that I think that I found out. And the first would be how people get information when they're new to the streets. And essentially it's a, it's a real vacuum of any kind of professional services. Everyone that's new to the streets that's homeless finds out information about interventions through other homeless people. So all the information comes from 
the rest of the homeless community. That's the only people that will talk to them. That's the people that tell them where to go. That's the people that tell them whether it's a good service or a bad service. And generally, I found that there were two kind of different narratives about whether a service was good or not. There'll be the people that came through the service successfully that might even be living independently now in their own flat and in their own job, but they still felt an obligation to go back to the streets. Some of them were saying they went four or five nights a week just to make sure the new people to the streets knew where to go and what to do. They were generally encouraged people to go to services, engage with support. And then there was a more negative narrative around those that might have been evicted, that have been circling around homeless services for a long time, and they were given a negative interpretation of what it was to engage in the service. And so you'd hear all these kind of rumours about what it was like to stay at the night shelter, for instance, and that were completely unfounded, but they fed into this narrative that people that were new to the streets had to figure out which was true, how much to believe, and what to believe. So information would be a key point. The second. The second point was about relationships and those that are able to get out of homelessness are the ones that are able to build relationships outside of the homeless community and those that don't get out of homelessness are the ones that can only build relationships inside of the homeless community. So, so success is based upon the relationships that people are able to build essentially. And so I think that that's really kind of challenged my thinking of so much of our kind of professional rhetoric is around uh, independent living, person-centred. It's very much about the individual, and I think that's a great thing. Housing first would be another thing. It's all about the, the person and their support, which I think is good and right, but I think we might be throwing the baby out with the bathwater because actually people need community, and they need a community to be part of, to be looked after by, but also to contribute to, and we're missing that piece, I think. The missing piece is the community. Mm. Is that the community within the homeless community or, or, or community as in wider societal groups? I think it's, it's wider societal groups. So it's really important that if you're going to get out of homelessness that you can build friendships, build relationships with people that aren't in the homeless community. And that's not to say they forget, they certainly don't forget the homeless community and they feel a, a real loyalty to the group that they've left behind and they want to help them and so that, that's why they, there's that information piece that they do go back, they do want to help. But those that are successful need to build those new relationships outside of that homeless community. And usually, to be honest, in the people that I've, I've spoken to it comes in, in two different ways and, and one is employment, that people make friends at their workplace and, and that's a way out. And another is through faith group and they, they, they make friends that way and, and feel like they can belong and contribute towards something. This is going to sound rather naive. With all the interventions that are around, with mm. all the support groups that are around, for somebody who's new to the streets, if they're given that information relatively quickly, why then do they not seem to come off the streets faster? Yeah, I think the, the kind of untold story I think of homelessness is that a lot of people do come off the streets. For instance, our night shelter last year, we had 200 people come through, 170 of those moved on successfully. The kind of untold story is most people we can move through pretty successfully. I think there is a, a hardcore element that is more difficult. There's all kinds of pressures on the housing market. It's more difficult than ever to move clients through our system. So that, that blocks up spaces in the night shelter, for instance. So from the night shelter, you typically either move into some sort of supported accommodation or you might reconnect with family. But that's your, your general move on would be supported accommodation. But supported accommodation is blocked up because people are having to stay there for longer because they're having to wait longer to find a place to live. And, and then that puts a backwards pressure onto the night shelter because people are then having to stay there longer because there's no space 
in supported accommodation. And then the night shelter is, is almost always full, which I think is typical in any town across the country. So 98% occupancy, our night shelter runs out. So essentially we're full all the time. So then you can't get into the night shelter. So then you're, you, you are on the streets. So one is just a very kind of, there's a pressure on housing and that slows everybody through moving through the system, which is a problem. And I think secondly, which is the third finding actually of the research, is that there is this what I've called sense blocking element to what happens when you, you go onto the streets. It's like an extreme emotion, usually the result of years of abuse. It can be personal failure, but it's often abuse or a mix of both. Uh, and so you find yourself on the streets and, 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 and the emotion is too extreme to really think straight, to, to know what you want to do, to make sense of the world around you. So a lot of people on the streets do yeah, sense block and that, and that usually comes through alcohol or drugs typically, which are very available on the streets. So they'll use that to dampen the emotion and then that, that can obviously trap you in a negative cycle. So, I mean, that would be another sort of side point really was I, I wasn't naive enough to think that there's no drugs and they aren't freely available on the streets, but quite how assertive drug dealers are towards homeless people was quite surprising to me. So most of the people I, I spoke to mentioned that drug dealers will find you first. Rather than an outreach worker or some sort of support team finding you first, a drug dealer would talk to you first. And it's not aggressive, it's not nasty, it's just an offer of your first hit's free. When you're on the streets and life is that low and you do want to get sort of block your senses, sense block, then it's an easy option. And that can obviously slow down you moving through the services and back into community. So what sort of interventions then can occur that enable a positive, safe transition from the street to home? There's some great, really great services that are happening. There is quite a heavy investment from government at the moment because there's this political agenda to end homelessness by 2027. And that has been followed with a chunk of money for frontline services, which is obviously a good thing. So there are more kind of emergency beds so people aren't sleeping rough as much. And there are, you know, the night shelters, the, the bed spaces, there, are, there is good kind of supported accommodation options. There are kind of trials of this thing called Housing First, which is, you know, we get put straight into a house that's yours to keep forever and services get wrapped around you. All great services, but I think the real thing we need to add into that is, is where do people fit into community? Where do they stop being a, a homeless person or a formerly homeless person? And when do they just become a person? And so I think that really comes in a, in a place where they find community and purpose. And it's not about just a, a community group giving to the homeless person. It's not a one-way thing. It's, it's a place where the homeless person can belong and contribute to. And that'll look different for, for different people because it, it depends on their interests and what, and what they want to do. I think there's a missing piece in society around community and where do we find our place and, and who are friends and, and where do we build relationships. I think that's something that's, that's difficult to find at the best of times, where are our people, where is the community that we belong to. And I think we all need that. And I think it's even more difficult when you've had time on the streets. So the issues of stigma follow somebody, is that what you're saying? They tend to follow that narrative. So somebody has been homeless, they're now off the streets. But does that stigma of their past life continue to follow them throughout? Yes, yeah, stigma is, is an issue, I think on both sides. There is certainly that community issue where we see a person as a reformed homeless person. So, so we need to do work on that. And, and, and I think that's what I'm trying to say about how we don't want to just give, 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 give to the person because that's, that's actually 
that's not valuing the person. We want to help them to be able to contribute into something. That's where you find real belonging, when you can, yes, both receive from other people, but also contribute into something. And that's, that's so there is that piece where we need to stop thinking about what do we need to give, what do we need to do, and, and just help someone to be part of something. And then I also think the homeless person themselves will carry that stigma around themselves thinking, I'm a homeless person, I need to be helped by other people. So there's almost a stigma, I think, that they put on themselves, which again will come out when they find a place that they can contribute into that isn't just about people giving to that person. Now, I think we do need to give to that person. We need to help them as much as we possibly can, but that isn't the whole story. We also need to receive from that person because they have gifts and strengths that they can contribute into society and into communities. How will what you have found out through your research and the discussions that you've had with the people that you've been involved with, how will that change your approach to the work that you're doing? I think everything we need to do is around how we can build community and how we can encourage relationships. You know, one of the stories that I heard that kind of jarred me was about why someone chose our night shelter over another night shelter. And the other night shelter was much better, sounded much better, <laughs> to be honest. Actually, I've visited it, and it, it probably is much better <laughs> in terms of the facilities and, the, and, and what it can offer. And, you know, you get your own room. Uh, you stay, once you're in, you're in. You don't have to leave during the day, which you do have to in, in our one. Um, and he, he, he chose to stay at our night shelter, and so I was like, that's nuts. Why, why, would, you, <laughs> why would you do that? I was a, you know, it's, a, it's crowded. It's... It's very friendly, yes, and it's a good support service, don't get me wrong, but it is crowded and, and there's lots of people around. But he, he chose our night shelter over the other night shelter because there was always someone around. There was, he got a 24-hour comfort blanket of someone to talk to when he needed to. And so he, he actually sought out that kind of community piece and sought out those relationships. And so I think we need to make sure we're doing work wherever we can to encourage community, especially... And, and rightly, when I think the kind of most of the homeless services are going down this, this avenue of it's about you and, and about putting you in your own place and sorting out your needs, which is all fantastic and good, but can be actually very isolating. And, and so, so we need to do that piece because it's a good way of supporting people. But we also need to figure out, well, while we're building someone into their own place with their own support needs, with their own support around them, how do we also build that person and give them opportunity to engage in friendships and relationships outside of homeless support or, or homeless people? Because of that, that's what will keep someone in a house and, and keep them happy and fulfilled and help them move forward with their lives rather than just having a nice flat isn't enough. And so we've kind of upped our game in terms of, and we will do so more, but around the courses, they're not just about teaching people life skills. It's not just about teaching people IT or, or getting people ready for work, all of which are great. Sometimes we'll go into golf, we'll go for a walk in the country, we'll do just interest courses, because we want to help people just make friends <laughs> with each other and have community and relationships. And one of the guys actually in the research was saying that he signed up for every, every course that he could possibly sign up for. He didn't know what he was signing up to, he wasn't interested in half of them, but he knew that when he came to the course, I think his quote was, I knew when I came to the course, when I stepped on the bus that picked him up, I knew I'd have friends, I knew I'd have someone to talk to. And so that's an important piece of what I think homeless services can offer, or is, the, is this kind of how can we help give people a space away from the streets where they can become friends and um, build community and get used to that kind of interaction again.
That was Simon Dwight, a student of our MST in Social Innovation and the CEO of the King's Arm Project. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by searching for us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube.